0: Today is the 5th of July, 2014, and this is episode 124. The following program is not an endorsement for any service, product, act, or anything. In the words of Arthur S. Falls, bury your money in the ground, it's the only safe thing to do. Welcome to Let's Talk Bitcoin, a twice weekly show about the ideas, people, and projects building the digital economy and the future of money. We're off and running with LTB coin, and a lot has happened in the last week since we launched. If you've added your LTB coin address into your profile at letstalkbitcoin.com, check your wallet. If you've had a piece of content published on the front page in the last week, check your wallet. If you have LTB coin and you don't want them, you can trade them at the Melotic, that's M-E-L-O-T-I-C.com exchange against Bitcoin. We don't endorse or encourage any particular acts or uses for LTB coin, but the reality is you can do whatever you want with your tokens. They're your property. We encourage you to act in your own best interest, but even if you don't want to act in your own best interest, do whatever you want because we have no power to compel you to do anything. With that out of the way, my name is Adam B. Levine, and today we are Coast to Coast, Andreas recently spoke at the fabulous Bitcoins in the Beltway event. And thanks to Patrick over at CoinSitter This, we've got the talk. Andreas talks value, regulation, consensus, and more. But first, I recently spoke at the San Francisco Bitcoin Meetup about using tokens in unconventional ways, coin powers, crowdfunding, and LTB coin. Thanks to the folks over at Money and Tech for the recording. I'll hand the show off to myself. Enjoy the show. Yeah. So my name is Adam B. Levine. I'm the editor in chief of Let's Talk Bitcoin and the LTB Network, and I'm also the uh, chief visionary officer of a couple of different companies, uh, notably uh, Coinpowers.com, which I'm going to be talking about a little bit here today. Um, chief visionary officer is a really cool title that I really like. I didn't know what to call myself when I started getting involved with these projects because I, uh, you know, I talk a lot. That's pretty much the thing that I do. I like I can rip on people's ideas and I can help them iterate. And I can help them, you know, take their dumb idea and make it less dumb sometimes. Sometimes (laughs) that's what's necessary. So today we're going to talk about something that I've been working on now for, I guess, about seven months. Um, And it was, uh, you know, (laughs) I've been working on the solution for about seven months. But the problem is something that I first ran into in 2005, when I first uh, started my podcast Gamer Andy Live, which was a show that I did a long time ago. And again, it was something where we achieved somewhere, this was in 2005, um, somewhere in the range of uh, 10,000 to 20,000 uh, weekly listeners to just my little uncensored yelling and uh, video games with a couple of friends show. But we were never able to pay anybody. And so I had a situation where at one point I had 20 people working for me and writing for me and, and doing stuff for me. And we were getting invited to events and flown all over the place, but there was never any money in it. And it was always really bizarre to me that that was possible. So. Today we're not talking about that particular problem explicitly, we're talking about bootstrapping. And what that means is the chicken-egg problem that all new ventures face when they first start. Which notably is that just as you can be too big to fail, so can you be too small to succeed. And so just as, you know, if you have, if you've started a forum or a company that, you know, is, is, is relies on users, a social network, anybody who's started a social network, the first hundred users, the first thousand users, those are the people who are your absolute saints. And it's not because they're awesome, it's because they're there, and they're there first, and that's what matters, because they'll be the people who bring in the people who come after them. So, Bitcoin faced this problem fairly early on, and it wasn't the only one. I mean, Reddit is an interesting example of this. Um, You know, Reddit, when it first started, uh, again, had this huge problem, no content, and all of this empty space. And so what they did is each founder went, they created like 25 accounts, and they just talked to themselves. And again, so it's like, it's cheating, but it solved the problem. And so that's kind of what is so interesting about Bitcoin is that Bitcoin, if you think about it, at its core level, is incentivizing make work. The ASIC industry is incentivized make work. SHA-256, which is what we, you know, miners are actually doing, isn't processing transactions, it's not verifying against fraud, it's not doing anything. The only thing it's doing is fairly generating a common metric, a common measuring stick that we can all compare ourselves against. And then the, you know essentially, so, so, so that's not a bad thing. People, I say that, and people are like, oh, well, you don't like that, it's fine. You know, I, it's not perfect, but it's not bad. But what it is, is really effective. You know, Bitcoin starting from nothing, when there were no miners, there was no value to Bitcoin. Uh, starting from nothing, Bitcoin managed to take, make work, and turn it into the fastest growing computational hardware industry in the world uh, through the ASIC industry. And again, it's it's been absolutely fascinating to watch. And so one of the interesting things about it is that now that Bitcoin has kind of solved that mining bootstrap problem, how do you get a transactional network that can do all these things we want? And we don't really need to solve that problem anymore. And so that was kind of a realization I came to about, I don't know, I guess this was back in uh, December. Uh, December, November. I wrote my first paper on this in November. I haven't published any of them just because, again, this stuff is hard to understand and I haven't really had a good platform, which is funny because I run a website that publishes new ideas and you know, I don't feel comfortable publishing <laughs> stuff on my own. Um, so, so what I want to talk about today is user-created assets. And a user-created asset at its core is exactly that. It's a token, just like Bitcoin, that doesn't require mining. And because it doesn't require mining, you don't need to solve the problem of mining. Because you don't need to solve the problem of mining, you can use the token for something else. So what you use the token for is actually what I spend most of my time talking to people about. Because there are an infinite variety of things that you can do with these things. And again, Bitcoin uses computational mining, right? But all that mining really is, again, it's just creating that metric that we compare uh, against everybody else in the network. How valuable am I compared to everybody else? In the network and so in different networks that doesn't look like mining at all or computational mining anyways you know in different networks it looks like maybe again um, for uh, some things money is the thing that's required a project can't happen without money and so if somebody gives you money and then you give them back a token that then you will make valuable using the money that they gave you and then honoring the token for the service so one can imagine the distributed dropbox example always comes up and so this is, this is it. If you pay for the creation of distributed Dropbox, you get back some of distributed Dropbox tokens, and then when distributed Dropbox is finished, you can use those tokens. And since the network is more valuable when the product actually exists, than at the beginning when it doesn't exist and it's totally speculative, you probably appreciate it because more people are interested in a product they can actually use rather than one they can just pour money into. <laughs> So that's kind of the basic map behind these things, is that any project that goes from having nothing to having something should be more valuable when it has something than when it has nothing. So again, this doesn't eliminate failure. You can still fail with projects. It doesn't change any of that. But by adding a token into the mix, you essentially give yourself a lot better options, and options in general, and not just for you, but for all of the users, too. before I got into Bitcoin, um, I uh, was really, really into crowdfunding, really into Kickstarter. I backed, like, 27 projects, and I wound up as community manager on, like, two or three of them. And the reason why I wound up in, as community manager is because a lot of times people would propose these projects and get them funded. Like, there was this 3D printer. There was a dual-extruded 3D printer, you know, I was going to print with, uh, I don't know, if there's a lot of crossover here, but it was a really cool one. And it was supposed to take about six months, and it was one guy doing it. And he spent all the money, he was a smart guy, smart guy, engineer, um, designed this really cool 3D printer and uh, spent all the money buying supplies and didn't allocate anything for actually doing the labor. And so he had to fabricate 500 machines with like 200 parts or 300 custom parts each. Uh, and It took like an extra year. And so what happens is that over time, uh, you know when a project goes like this people start to kind of defect and even though this is a donation and you're not getting your money back I mean that's the deal when you sign up with Kickstarter people ask and people have terrible stories and they're like you know I need this money to graduate and again as a community manager I fielded a lot of these and so again the thing that really was just emphasized to me is that once you've made this commitment you have no choice and even if you did have a choice even if the creator is willing to break the rules in order to give you your refund so you can do the thing that you need to do it's a terrible outcome for everybody because now there's money being drawn away from actually completing the project and you can essentially have a run on the bank in this sort of situation which then collapses the whole thing so there's another problem with kickstarter and it's that you can only get someone to support your project if they like what you're doing, believe it will work, want the thing that you're offering as a reward, and agree with the price that you're, uh, that you're asking for, and of course, you know, find you. <laughs> so, so you're targeting a niche of a niche of a niche of a niche, and it's hard, because again, like crowdfunding has gotten really popular. So in the beginning, there wasn't a lot of competition, but now there's a lot of competition. So you can fix all of these problems basically by adding a token to the mix. You know, if the reasons that I've talked about these tokens are valuable if the project succeeds. Again, if the project fails, can't do anything about that. But actually, you have more options because if a project, if you perceive a project to be failing, then you can sell it. You'll probably you can sell the token that would be uh, that would be useful for it otherwise. And you know again, like with Kickstarter. You, you couldn't do that. So, you might be selling at a loss, but when comparing it to the current option of Kickstarter, having the option to make the decision for yourself, if you need that money, it might be worth it to you. Or if the project is failing, it might be worth it to you. And the flip side of this, of course, is that, you know, like a, an example is a game called Star Citizen that funded on uh, Kickstarter maybe a year and a half ago. And a uh, very high profile space game. And what they did is they offered these really cool ship packages, like $500, $600 type. Um, you know unique ships or ships that were limited edition only during the crowdfunding campaign And of course people who discovered the game after the crowdfunding campaign is over, they wanted those And so what they, eventually, what they eventually did is they made it so that the, you can actually trade these packages But again, if you just have a token in the middle there, if so, so if the way this works is that I want to create a project I want all of you to give me money. I uh, essentially tell you the way that I'm going to distribute. I tell you the rules that we're going to use to distribute these things. And then at the end of it, if I've raised that much money, then we create the tokens, the project funds, and uh, and essentially the tokens go out into the wild. I have my money to develop the project. I have my Bitcoin. If you want to sell your token, to give you access to my project, you can totally do that. It doesn't affect me at all. And again, so there's this, there's this interesting interplay where by giving control, where there was no control, to users, those users now, the responsibility isn't on me. The responsibility is entirely on them. And really, that's what you want from people who are donating to support you. You want their donation, and then you want to give them back a token that represents the value that their donation brought in. If the project fails again, nothing you can do about it. So I've got actually way off track on my notes. Um, so the thing that I found uh, as we were kind of going I've been trying to scratch my own age for so long on this stuff, I kind of view myself as a cheap user because we keep building systems because I keep running into problems. So we've been building um, on the Let's Talk Bitcoin platform this thing that's called an asset distributor. Um, or we're calling it asset drop, actually. Um, and uh, basically what it is, is... Uh, These user-created assets are all built on top of Bitcoin. There are a variety of protocols, essentially different rule sets that you can use to embed your token into Bitcoin, and then it uses the Bitcoin network. Um, You can use MasterCoin, you can use colored coins, you can use Counterparty. Um, They're different. Uh, and there are, there are kind of different capabilities in each one. And so what I realized when I was looking at these is that they all do the same thing. They're not cross compatible and they all have different advantages. So the thing that's really missing is a unifying platform to kind of tie it all together and allow people to just pick whatever the heck they want to educate them on the stuff that they want to know about and then to do all of the actual creation very easily and have a common place to communicate with the people who are supporting them. Because this is the other thing is that, you know, I mean, trying to find people who are invested in a given coin in the cryptocurrency space is like, you know, it's cats. You can't do it. Um, you know, they're everywhere. They're on all these different forums. And so again, you need this kind of centralized place where the communities can start to come together. And so I got sucked into a project called Coin Powers that is pretty much that. It's part crowdfunding platform um, and part essentially coin social network. And uh, again, I, I met the, I wrote an article about uh, Kickstarter, anyways, I'm sorry, I'm going out into the weeds here. We have limited time, so I'm not going to get into this too much. The point is, is that um, what I'm building with Coinpowers Powers is a combination of a platform and a toolkit. So the platform, again, is about trying to express yourself, get your message out there, make it very easy to do that, and tie together all of these disparate coin communities. And frankly, the creators of those coins to their communities, which is important. Again, we've noticed a lot of uh, coin creators drift off. And with user-created assets, you can't do that. You know, with a network like Bitcoin, you have the ability, you know, you want it to be neutral. You, it's very important that it's neutral because it's a transactional network. But when you're talking about user-created assets, the user that creates them is exceptionally important, unless it, again, is intended for some type of neutral purpose. So, you know, I... I, I often faux pas and say to people, well, if you die, then your coin will be less valuable. But if you don't die, then, then you, know, you don't necessarily have to worry about that. That's not a fail state necessarily. Uh, whereas with Bitcoin, if you know, a core developer died, it wouldn't really matter that much. The value isn't tied to individuals. With user-created assets, for better or worse, it is. So with Coin Powers, we've uh, gone down the rabbit hole looking at different models that are available for doing these coins. There are ways where you can set the price and set the amount of time that it's gonna be, but not set the number of coins that'll be created at the end. There are just a variety of business models that you can go into. Um, specifically though, I'd like to talk about rewards programs and what time I have left. Um, I've been creating LTB coin, which is a rewards program for, uh, for the Let's Talk Bitcoin network, um, but you can imagine kind of a more simpler example would be like uh, trying to start a new chat client or a new instant messaging client. Um, if you've ever tried to get friends onto an instant messaging client, these days it's pretty hard. It's pretty hard because there are good options out there and there's no real good reason to change usually. But if you were gonna create a chat interface or you know some, sort, some type of chat program that had this type of token built into it, then you could essentially say, okay, well, now there's a really good reason for you to be an early group that makes this jump over. Because we're gonna take 10,000 chat coins, and every day, based on people chatting with each other on our network, we're going to reward them equally for their contribution to the value of the network. And this could be user-based or whatever. Again, like the, the example sort of doesn't matter. The point is, is that by creating this sort of incentive structure, where when you participate, when there are fewer people, you get more people participating. When there are fewer people, and it doesn't disincentivize people from participating when there are lots of people. That's just the network effect taking, you know, taking over. But it means that again, like so long as you keep doing this, if the numbers drop low again, you have a reason for those numbers to go back up. And so again, it's kind of this like guarantee of minimal levels of activity. Um. So Let's Talk Bitcoin is a content network. Uh, we started out in April of last year as a single, twice-weekly blog. And then in uh, December, we added I think four or five new shows um, to the network and just upgraded our website to a completely custom platform with cryptocurrency baked into it. Very excited about that, I have to tell you. Uh, I first started talking about these cryptocurrency-enabled platforms um, last year, and the cool part about it is that we've now got Let's Talk Bitcoin to a point where each user can associate an address with their account, and then we can send user-created assets to each of those users, and it goes to their actual wallet that they control. We don't have to have control A, but we have the ability to get into it, and again, user-created assets, <laughs> yeah, I go too far. <laughs> <laughs> it's really, it's, it's very hard to shut up about this stuff, I gotta tell you. So, LTB coin um, is launching in, I guess, seven or eight days now. Um, you can't buy it. The only way that you can get it is by either creating content for Let's Talk Bitcoin or uh, participating in our audience or being the platform that you can't be because there's only one platform right now. Um, basically, with Let's Talk Bitcoin, uh, with LTB coin, the first thing is proof of, uh, proof of publication. Proof of publication basically means that over the course of a given <coughs> week uh, right now, I think it's somewhere like between seven and 10 uh, different types of posts hit our front page. I would like that to be a lot more. And so what we're gonna do is we're going to take uh, LTB coin and we're going to award it to people who submit uh, posts to us that meet our criteria and actually hit our front page. And so if you read a story for us, and again, we're a totally open platform, anybody with any perspective, so long as it's not a you know lying one. Um, can uh, can you know use our platform? And if you meet our quality standards and make it onto the front page, then you per- then you qualify for uh, this disbursement, essentially, of new LTB coin. So you are in effect a miner in the LTB coin ecosystem. Um, there are two layers of compensation there. There's one just for getting on our front page, and then there's another a month later based on performance and how you've actually done relative to everybody else during that time. But it's important to notice that again, with all of these metrics, everything is relative, right? Everything is not about you know it has to be 100 or you know or it's not sufficient it's it has to be the best of everybody that submitted something that day that meets that week that meets the criteria and so the audience participates in a different way the audience adds value by consuming the content and so uh, you earn a minimal amount of essentially points um, uh, points are how we compare because again we do these uh, distributions every week and so you're constantly earning LTV coin when you're on our web page when you're visiting a story for the first time, you've earned LTB coin. When you send a tip to one of our authors, you've earned LTB coin. And again, all of these metrics are compared relatively. So if you're the only one that donates on a given day, you're going to get the entire donation allocation. Center, or, uh, yeah, the entire donation allocation. So um, let's see. There's that. So those four metrics are starting up. Um, but I mean, that's that's the basic idea. Is that uh, once we've got these tokens out there, the thing that gives them value is they're all we accept for sponsorships, and they're all we accept for advertisements. But right now, Let's like Bitcoin reaches somewhere between ten and fifteen thousand people uh, in the Bitcoin ecosystem, and it's a very very specific ten or fifteen thousand people. So. That's a valuable thing, and in the past, we've been able to pretty effectively monetize it, but I hate selling advertisements. It's the most irritating thing I've ever done. The only thing I want to do is work on content. And so, again, what I've done with this is, uh, the reason really why we're doing this is exactly because of that, because I don't want to be the salesman anymore, I don't want to hire a salesman to be responsible for him doing it or do a commission system or anything like that. I want to turn everybody into a sales rep for us if they want to be. And essentially what we're doing is we are not selling sponsorships for LTB coin. We are selling sponsor tokens for LTB coin. And so if you, so we auction off these sponsor tokens to the highest bidder. So again, we never want to have no activity. It's all about relative, right? So everybody bids LTB coin. We might have eight sponsorship slots per month. So the top eight bids get those sponsor tokens. Then those sponsor tokens can be traded or redeemed for the next like month. And when you redeem them, you essentially are locking in your sponsorship and, you know, whatever message, so long as it, again, complies with our published standards, um, is okay, and, uh, and, and and you go from there, basically. Um, published standards, lost my place, anybody? How are you getting paid? How am I getting paid, thank you. Um, so, yeah, so that's it, basically, because, again, um, not everybody is going to participate in the LTB coin ecosystem. We're asking people to jump through hoops, and really, I don't think that, that that many people who aren't fans or aren't incentivized by the type of system we're putting together are gonna be that so what it means is that somebody who's just a listener or whatever can take some of the LTB coin that they earn through normal activities on the site or creating content and they or they can buy it on market from somebody who we've uh, given it to first through those methods and then go on to um, and then uh, essentially take the LTB coin buy the uh, the sponsor token with it and sell it to somebody for Bitcoin or whatever and then that person can repeat it so again it sort of stretches it out and makes it so that rather than uh, than me having to make the decision or, or us having to make the decision instead the whole community can make the decision and if you wanted to have you know a group of people get together and pull their LTV coin and just have you know uh, community ads or something like that again with this with this sort of system it's very possible so <laughs> So this is really an ongoing journey for me. Um, It's definitely not over yet. I'm kind of, uh, you know, this this has been a really wild year. Things have moved so fast. I wanted to launch this four months ago and the reality continues to be that It just takes forever to do anything, and again, forever in this space is four months. That's that's the hilarious part, is that this this has all come together in the last couple of months. Um, And the real big push that has gotten us to this point has been bringing on uh, more people to help me. That's really something that I encourage people to do. I have a horrible time delegating, very, very difficult. And uh, since I've been able to do that more with LTB coin, we've made much faster progress. If you'd like to learn more about Let's Talk Bitcoin, you can visit letstalkbitcoin.com. I am all over the place and uh, you know, available at LetsTalkBitcoin.com if you want to send me an email and I'll be around to talk. Thanks a lot. Today's episode, in addition to our LTBC sponsors, is brought to you by CryptoKit. CryptoKit is legitimately my favorite web wallet because it installs as a plugin into your Chrome browser and it just works. To do the stuff we're doing with coin, it takes a lot of small amounts of Bitcoin. And while I love Armory for how safe it makes me feel, CryptoKit is so fast and simple that it's easier to just top up my CryptoKit from my Armory and only bust out the big wallet once every few weeks. You can find out more and get your free Crypto CryptoKit at CryptoKit.com. That's with a K, K-R-Y-P-T-O-K-I-T dot com. With a high bid of 10,500 LTB coin, longtime LTB writer Brian Cohen is our patron of the day. Brian is one of the most entrepreneurial people I've ever met, and true to form, he's the first I know of offering what we call a bridge service, as LTB coin moves from the, huh, stage to mainstream. Basically, if you'd like to sponsor Let's Talk Bitcoin, but don't already have LTB coin, create content, and your time is more valuable than your money, you can contact Brian, agree on a rate, and he'll handle the bidding for you, pay for the spots you win with LTB coin he's earned from creating his content for us. You might remember Bitcoin Megaphone's sponsorship on the last episode. Brian was the one that made that happen with this service. To learn more, visit Brian's website at bitofthis.com. That's B-I-T-O-F-H-I-S dot and find L-T-B under the Bitcoin menu. With a high bit of 6,500 L-T-B coin, Andrew Gabrielli wants you to know about the upcoming Crypto for Change blog. Andrew is looking for writers who find the big picture of Bitcoin's disruption and change more fascinating than its investment merits or its potential to upset the man. Real change will impact areas of law, democracy, economics, finance, and will empower marginalized societies. Crypto for Change is going to be one of the first new blogs releasing on the LTB network. Basically, posting on one of these blogs is your ticket to getting on the front page of LTB and earning your share of LTB coin rewards. If this sounds interesting, Andrew is looking for talented writers who are excited about the possibilities and eager to help those who can't see this future yet lift the veil just a bit. Ideally, you'd be submitting one piece a week. If you'd like to learn more, head over to the forums, and to apply, no resume required, send an email to join the team at cryptoforchange.com. Back to the show.
1: It is um, such a huge pleasure to be here today. I've uh, been following Jason's work for Sean's Outpost, his homeless uh, outreach and support charity. And um, if you don't know what Jason's been doing for the last several months, he ran from Miami to San Francisco um, in order to raise money for Sean's Outpost, which is just such an incredible thing. I'm a geek, so I don't run unless there's a bear chasing me, so uh, I can't imagine not only not doing 30 miles a day But doing one mile a day is a bit daunting, so it's it's quite remarkable what uh, what Jason did for charity And he continues to do that every single day, so I'm really happy to be here So I wanted to talk today about The future of cryptocurrency, and I wanted to start by talking a bit about regulation and new ways of doing regulation. I think this is the town to talk about it, right? So there's this ongoing conversation these days about whether Bitcoin should be regulated. And there are really two broad camps in this space. Some people who believe that we need more regulation in Bitcoin, in order to protect consumers, in order to provide more certainty, in order to reduce risk. And, and there are people who are philosophically opposed, fundamentally philosophically opposed to regulation of Bitcoin. On, on their basic moral principles they think that Bitcoin should operate entirely as a free market, without any regulation, and see regulation as an alien enemy force, as a force of corruption. And I fall in neither of those camps. I'm opposed to regulation on purely practical terms. And let me tell you why. And then we'll talk a bit about what we can do next. So the reason I'm opposed to regulation is quite simple. Um, It doesn't work. It didn't work before the financial crisis in 2008 when banks and other financial industry players took enormous risks with other people's money despite all of the frameworks that were there to prevent exactly that from happening. It didn't work during the financial crisis when The response of regulators was not to investigate, but instead to cover up so as not to spook the markets and to feed these behaviors with more money in order to not let them destabilize the entire economy. And regulation most certainly didn't work after 2008 when we discovered that the mortgage market that was hopelessly corrupt And an absolute casino of greed was just the tip of the iceberg. Because that same behavior then translated into fraudulent mortgage foreclosures, fraud closures with robo-signing, and no one was punished for that. Then we discovered that the London Interbank Overnight rate was rigged and the gold markets were rigged and the high-frequency trading algorithmic trading markets were rigged And the S&P 500 was rigged and the futures markets were rigged and the hedge funds were rigged and of course then There was the big backlash Where finally the prosecutors woke up and they said this has got to stop and and thousands and thousands of bankers landed in jail Oh wait, that didn't happen. And so regulation didn't work. It didn't protect consumers, especially the most vulnerable consumers, at a time when they needed protection from parasitic capitalism and greed. It didn't protect consumers or the markets during the crisis, and it didn't cause any repercussions for those who were exhibiting this behavior. In fact, if anything, One could argue that the behavior of the regulatory agencies after the crisis, where they imposed fines that were less than the profits made by fraud, was an incentive scheme. It rewarded that bad behavior. And so here we are today, and the too-big-to-fail banks are bigger. And none of them went to jail. Twenty-five trillion dollars of economic activity after 2008 has gone to less than 10% of the population. While the rest of us are led to believe that there is no inflation. Unless of course you buy food, or energy, or a big proportion of your income goes to surviving. In which case you can't make ends meet because of the horrific inflation that is actually taking place. So regulation doesn't work. And what I see in Bitcoin, and in Bitcoin's consensus algorithm and its consensus mechanism, is not something that is ideologically superior, is not something that is principally perfect, is not something that I find to be the morally better choice. I just see something that works in an environment where the alternative doesn't work. And so while we're having this great ideological conversation, should Bitcoin be regulated? Should we regulate financial markets more or less? And there's two opposing camps, and there's the statists, and then there's the anarchists, and big old juicy labels that are scary on both sides, and try to divide this opinion down the middle. To me, this is like a discussion between physicians in the Middle Ages. On the one side, you have antibiotics, and they work. And the opposing view is bloodletting. Let's bleed our patients. And that doesn't work, it just kills them faster. So why are we still doing it, (laughs) right? That's not a big ideological or moral discussion. It's like, this bit works, and this one doesn't. Fairly simple. So I'm opposed to regulation because it doesn't work. And it's not that it doesn't work because it's not done right. It's not because it doesn't work because we're not trying hard enough. It doesn't work because of the very nature of incentives in a human society. And the nature of incentives in a human society when when it comes to centralised organisations, whether you're looking at centralised financial services organisations, or the centralised regulatory infrastructures that are built upon them, is such that power corrupts. And so why do we have regulations in the first place? The reason we have regulations in the first place is because power corrupts. Uh, this is not a new lesson. This is a lesson that my ancestors, the Greeks, have been telling us since 3,000 years ago with great philosophical treatise on how power corrupts. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. And there is no more absolute power than control over money. And control over money is the power that corrupts fastest and most deeply. So we know that power corrupts. Why doesn't regulation work? Because it cannot solve that fundamental problem. Those who need to be regulated the most are the ones who have acquired great power over the system. Those are the ones who absolutely cannot be regulated, because their power affords them the possibility to be above the law, to be above regulation. The very organizations that need to be regulated the most, not little runaway penny stock Ponzi schemes. They don't need to be regulated. They're rank amateurs. We all know the truth. We all know the truth. The biggest criminals, the biggest criminals in our economy today, are sipping coffee, sitting next to each other in Davos, and congratulating each other on the great increases of the S and P 500. It's not the little penny stocks that need to be regulated, it's Goldman Sachs, and we all know that. And they're never going to be regulated. They can't. And the reason they won't be regulated is because their great power affords them the ability to be above the regulators. Regulation is a solution to a centralization problem. The problem of control over people's money. And we know very simply that if you give someone control over other people's money, Sooner or later, usually sooner, they steal the money. It's as simple as that. They steal the money. They run away with people's money. You let someone control your money, they will take your money. Your best friend sitting next to you, your business partner, you get $100 million in funding. Wake up one morning, your best friend has moved to Aruba with $100 million of your funding. It happens every time, the story is the same. Sometimes it's greed, sometimes it's covering up for a mistake. That's also a very common story. We bet a bit on the casino stock market, it wasn't going well, so we tried to hide it and double down on the bet, and that didn't go so well, so we quadrupled down on the bet, and that didn't go so well, and we octupled down on the debt, and before you know it, you've got Nick Leeson all over again. Or Mark Karpelis. Same story, same exact story, covering up for a mistake by, Increasing the odds until it all collapses in a pile of ashes. So if you have that problem, the understanding that control over money leads to theft, the way we solve it is by creating another centralized institution, a hierarchy, an organizational system of committees and individuals, to watch over the first centralized system of organizations and committees and individuals to make sure they don't steal and they're just as corruptible as the first bunch. Maybe not directly. Maybe they can't be bribed. In some countries, yes, you just stick a big fat juicy envelope in front of them full of cash, and suddenly your license is approved, your proposal is accepted, your grant is granted, and all goes smoothly. In this country we do things a bit more subtle, right? In this country we use influence and persuasion. Yes, but if you send us to jail, it's going to collapse the entire economy, so how about we use prosecutorial discretion and pump some more fed money into it. And Don't worry, it's all going to work out. In our country, here, corruption of regulators is subtle. It's by indoctrinating them in the idea that what is good for the giant institutions is good for the economy. And that applying the rule of law or justice to protect consumers will hurt consumers in the long run. And if they buy into that idea, they're in your back pocket forever. Regulation doesn't work because it's a centralized solution to a centralized problem. And then there was Bitcoin. Bitcoin offers us this really simple, elegant solution, the consensus algorithm. The consensus algorithm works by aligning the incentives of the participants directly with the incentives of the broader network, by ensuring not through regulation, not through rules, not through institutions, not through committees, not through fallible human beings, but instead through the elegance of mathematical theory applied to game theory, to incentives in a complex structure. The blockchain consensus algorithm ensures that cheating doesn't get you the reward. And that simple, elegant solution shouldn't work. It's the kind of thing that doesn't work in theory but only in practice, like Wikipedia or the internet. If you look at it on a piece of paper you think, eh, that can't possibly work. What do you mean everybody can edit the articles? It's going to be a clusterfuck. Let's stick with Encyclopedia Britannica, we know how that works. And yet in practice it does work. In practice at scale, The simple, elegant alignment of incentives with outcomes through game theory works. It worked when Bitcoin was tiny in 2009, and it keeps getting better. It's actually more effective as time goes by. So now we're looking at a multi-billion dollar economy where miners do not cheat. Have we discovered the most honest people on the planet? No. We haven't. Is the pie not big enough to steal? Of course it's big enough to steal. The shenanigans you see in a county committee to steal a few million dollars of waste management budget are legendary. And here we have a multi-billion dollar economy and the miners are not stealing. And the reason they're not stealing is because the system makes it in their best interests To play by the rules rather than against the rules Because we're not trying to build a system that asks you to not be evil We've built a system where you can't be evil because it doesn't pay and that is a better system that is as better Than centralized regulation as antibiotics are better than bloodletting. And it's time to say, it's not that we don't think regulation is the right solution for Bitcoin. We don't think regulation is the right solution for anything, because it doesn't work. And you can see that every day all around us. It doesn't work. If it worked, I'd be all for it. And maybe it does work on a very tiny scale for short periods of time, but in the long run and on the big scale, it doesn't work. And This isn't just a matter of philosophical or political differences, because when regulation fails to work, millions of people have their lives destroyed. This isn't just a matter of, hey, it didn't work, it didn't work, Yeah, it didn't work, and half of America's middle class ended up in poverty. A third of the homeowners lost their homes. Your college education is worth shit, and no one can find a job. That's not just a little oops. That's $20 trillion that disappeared. That's 250 million people who are in dire straits and have been for years, and are seeing no possibility of things getting better. That's not a little oops. I'm not opposed to regulation for Bitcoin. I'm opposed to solutions that don't work. Let's look at this consensus algorithm because I think we need to realize that the future of cryptocurrencies is the future of consensus algorithms. It's the future of scalable consensus systems that align incentives with the outcomes we desire. And we can take this and run with it. We can actually create better solutions for a much broader set of problems than simply don't steal the money. We've already shown it works for don't steal the money. And now we can show that it works for a broad variety of other systems. I'm most excited by the startups that we see in this space that are taking the consensus algorithm system of Bitcoin and they're applying it to novel problems. Not the Federal Reserve minting of currency problem. But problems about allocation of resources in a social environment. And even social interactions themselves. Proof-of-work is just the first step. One of the more interesting developments we're seeing now is other forms of consensus algorithms, like, for example, proof-of-resource. There's a few companies working in this space. With proof-of-resource, what you do is you take resources that are currently underutilized, or completely unused, like, for example, the disk space that's free on your laptop, The bandwidth or your wireless access point that's not being used. The CPU capability of your desktop computer, or even your mobile phone. And you're saying, how can we take that resource and share it? Now I can share that today. We have the protocols, we have the software to take Resources that are underutilized on personal computers and share them with others to create scalable peer-to-peer cloud computing systems How many of you here share your excess computing storage and bandwidth? There's a lack of alignment of incentives with outcomes You don't share them because an abundance of altruism is not a good enough reason for human behavior That's a simple fact. It doesn't work it works in very narrow scenarios, it works in very small local communities, it works at local scale. You can create mesh networks, you can create communes and co-ops and collaboration environments, but it doesn't scale. Consensus algorithms actually gives us an opportunity to take incentives that only work on the local level and scale them up, so they work on a global level. So If you were able to, sell, to share your Wi-Fi, and as you're sharing it, the very act of sharing mines coins in a proof-of-resource consensus algorithm and gives you a token that has value. A token that you can then use when you're traveling, so that when Marriott Renaissance, to pick a random example, asks you for $14.99 for hundred kilobits of Wi-Fi, you can say off, I'll use the shared network instead, and use some of your sh- precious tokens that you've mined by being altruistic with incentives, to now use the resource that is common. So You mine coins by sharing your network at home, you go traveling, you use those coins to use somebody else's networks. And suddenly, an incentive structure that would only work if everybody was being absolutely altruistic, meaning it wouldn't work on a large scale, can work on a very large scale. Suddenly, in 2014, mesh networks that have been a glimmer of possibility just on the edge of the horizon for the last two decades, suddenly seem like they could be real, and they could be happening on a massive scale pretty soon. That is incredibly exciting. The idea that you could take cloud computing resources from thousands and thousands of underutilized PCs, and set up cloud computing networks by proof-of-resource mining. The reason this works, or I think it will work, is because consensus algorithms take an incentive structure, Through the use of mathematics and game theory, they align it with the outcomes that you want to achieve as a community. So if what you want to do is increase the capacity of a shared resource like Wi-Fi bandwidth, and you align the incentives of a currency with that, it happens. And if it's on a transparent blockchain like bitcoins, you don't need to regulate it. I don't need to worry about whether the FCC is going to destroy net neutrality yet again on a proof of resource sharing network because there is no FCC. I would like to believe that regulation works because then the fact that 75% of the internet is against destroying net neutrality would be perfectly enough for the FCC to do its damn job. But they're not going to, because they have many many paid lobbyists whispering into their ear that this is all about greedy Netflix trying to get more money. Well, guess what? I already paid for that Comcast connection, and if I choose to download Netflix, that's my money. Netflix doesn't need to pay again. I paid. You advertised 50 meg down. Where's my 50 meg? It's already paid for. The FCC is destroying net neutrality because it is suffering from regulatory failure And if I had a proof of resource sharing mesh network, I wouldn't need to worry about that Because net neutrality would be ensured by the combination of a consensus algorithm and a transparent blockchain I wouldn't need regulation because the system is self-regulating I wouldn't need to ensure that one player can't dominate the environment, because one player can't amass the resource to dominate the environment. And If they did, the incentive would be for them to share that resource for reward, rather than to use it to destroy the environment. But it goes a lot further than just allocating resources. One of the interesting experiments that we're beginning to see now, which I find fascinating, is the concept of proof of publishing, and the use of consensus algorithms to incentivize behaviours on social media. Positive behaviours that build community, positive behaviours that enhance the conversation, the discussion. Um, One of the organisations I work with, disclaimer here, Let's Talk Bitcoin, is launching an ambitious project. I have no idea if this is going to succeed, and I certainly wouldn't suggest that you buy into it. But I think it's worth looking at just to understand what Let's Talk Bitcoin is doing with this experiment, because whether Let's Talk Bitcoin succeeds or not in this experiment, I think the experiment tells us a lot about where consensus algorithms are going, and somebody else will eventually succeed here. So what Let's Talk Bitcoin is doing is creating a currency for content producers and content distributors. That allows people to be rewarded by mining through publishing content. So proof of publication. So if you write a good article and that article is read by many people you earn currency you earn currency by creating conversations that are valuable to other people and it goes one step further if you comment and enhance that discussion by commenting you earn credits if you provide reviews and editorial input by highlighting upvoting if you like the good stuff and downvoting the bad stuff. And your editorial criteria are matched by others. So you upvote things that other people consistently find good and also upvote. Then you're contributing to the conversation and you earn more coins. So this is going way beyond just micropayments and the ability to use currency to monetize content creation, we're talking about tying the very incentives of social participation and of quality of content directly to the consensus algorithm. So using the consensus algorithm to incentivize exactly the behaviors that make for good community. It's not just about throwing a coin behind Reddit. It's about changing the fundamental mechanism by which we organize social behavior on social media. So, Yes, it would be very cool if tomorrow morning Facebook announced that they're adopting Bitcoin as a payment mechanism. But if you look at this broader vision, it would actually be boring. What would be really cool is if social media sites started rewarding you for blocking trolls, I would be able to supplement my income quite nicely, because I have a lot of trolls. (laughs) And currently I'm blocking five or six of these trolls a week for free. But imagine if I could do that as my job, and get rewarded because I'm removing negative influences from the conversation and promoting positive influences. And I'm getting rewarded simply by the consensus of the rest of the community that what I'm doing is useful. Now that is a powerful form of regulation. That is a system of regulation that can work, that will align the very incentives of individual behavior with the desired social outcomes for better conversation. The vision I see for cryptocurrencies is so much bigger than currency, because I see this as a way of creating, self-regulating, dynamic feedback loops that allow us to achieve predictable outcomes in a fully transparent environment where you can see exactly how the behavior leads to the outcome and to the incentive structure and where people don't behave well because we told them to, or because we threatened them with punishment, but because the incentives to do so are overwhelming, and the disincentives to behave badly in the environment are also overwhelming. And that's why I'm opposed to regulation, because it doesn't work. And that's why I believe strongly in the Bitcoin consensus algorithm, because it works. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to episode 124 of Let's Talk Bitcoin. Content for today's show is provided by Andreas M. Antonopoulos and Adam B. Levine. This episode was edited by Adam B. Levine and produced by Coinsitter This and Money in Tech. Music for today's show was provided by Jared Rubens and The New Time. Visit letstalkbitcoin.com to see our latest articles, hear the latest episodes, and of course, to earn your share of the LTB coin dedicated to members of the audience just like you. If you have LTB coin, you can do whatever you want with it, but a good use is to sponsor this show. We not only take advertisers, but also community sponsors who want to get their resume out there, publicize a job vacancy, or generally get a message out. From the front page of letstalkbitcoin.com, you can click the menu item Sponsor and Spend to see your options. These are still very early days. We appreciate your help in testing the theory. Have a good one.